0: John chapter 2, we spent most of, all of January and most of February talking about John chapter 1, we've studied in John chapter 1, we're going to continue on into John chapter 2 with the very first miracle that Jesus performed. Danny, can you check this mic? Is it on now? Yeah. There we go. John chapter 2. John chapter 2. We're going to read verses 1 through 11. It says, And the third day there was a marriage in Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. And both Jesus was called and his disciples to the marriage. And when they wanted wine, the mother of Jesus saith unto him, They have no wine. Jesus saith unto her, Woman, what have I to do with thee? Mine hour is not yet come. His mother saith unto the servants, Whatsoever he saith unto you, Do it. And there were set there six water pots of stone, after the manner of the purifying of the Jews, containing two or three firkings apiece. Jesus said unto them, Fill the water pots with water, and they filled them up to the brim. And he said unto them, Draw out now, and bear unto the governor of the feast, and they bear it. When the ruler of the feast had tasted the water that was made wine, and knew not whence it was, but the servants which drew the water knew, the governor of the feast called the bridegroom, and saith unto him, Every man at the beginning doth set forth good wine, and when men have well drunk, then that which is worse, but thou hast kept the good wine until now. The beginning of miracles did Jesus in Cana of Galilee, and manifested forth his glory, and his disciples believed upon him. Let us go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Lord, again, we come to you this morning, Lord. We always want to come to you in prayer. You're our Father. You're our Savior. You're our guide, Lord. Thank you so much for your word, Lord. And thank you so much for this miracle, Lord, to show us your power, to show us who you are, to proclaim that you are the Son of God, Jesus. Thank you so much for dying upon that cross, for paying our debt, for purchasing us and being our God. Lord, I pray that you guide us this morning through your word, Lord. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. So I'm blessed this morning, as uh, Michelle and Danny had already mentioned, they had, were going through uh, Pastor Dan's study uh, yesterday, and um, he called me up, and I, I was sleeping because I worked Friday night, and I wasn't able to make it over there, but Danny sat there and said, I'll, I'll bring you one of his Bibles, and so this morning, he brought me this, this Bible that belonged to Pastor Dan. And so this morning I'm going to preach out of Pastor Dan's Bible. And uh, so it means a lot. It's a very big honor uh, to be able to preach out of Dan's Bible. And I just want to thank you, Danny, Michelle, uh, for allowing me to, this opportunity to preach out of Pastor Dan's Bible. In fact, the last time he he always wrote in his his Bible, the last time it says that he uh, preached this or was in this scripture, was during a prayer meeting in October the thirteenth in two thousand five. So he puts all these little dates here in his Bible. So thank you again for that. Um, this morning we're gonna be talking about his first miracle. Now there's something different about John's gospel when it comes compared when it, when it's compared to Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Number one is a lot of things that you find in John you won't find in the other Gospels. The other Gospels are considered what is called the synoptic Gospels. You can read them side by side and they pretty much match up. Whereas John, who wrote his Gospel years later, it's almost as if he filled in some of the blanks. In fact, when you read the other Gospels, they're loaded down with miracles that Jesus did. Whereas John's Gospel only has about eight. He only writes about eight miracles in his Gospel. John's Gospel is geared towards the proclamation of Jesus being the Son of God. That's what he is geared for. The entire first chapter that we spent a whole month and a half on talked about the proclamation of who Jesus was. He was the Word of God. He is the Son of God. He is the Son of Man. He is the Lamb of God. He is the Savior of the world. It proclaims that He was the one who saves us from sin, to take away that sin from the world. And as we enter into chapter 2, Now all of a sudden we're going to see what John calls signs or miracles is what we normally refer to. Miracles that proclaim who he is. And so the very first one, and it's actually not mentioned in any of the other Gospels, is this day in Cana where he goes and attends a wedding. In verse 1 and verse 2 it says, "...and the third day there was a marriage in Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. And both Jesus was called and his disciples to the marriage." Now a lot of people, if, if you remember, if you think about our weddings, we invite family and friends, and they come from all over the place. It's similar back then, and similar in that culture to invite family and friends to your wedding. The difference is, is that in today's culture, the families of the bride and groom would sit there and provide the provide the the provisions. Back then, it was the groom and the bride's responsibility to take care of their guests, and it wouldn't just last one night prior to the wedding, during the wedding, and then the honeymoon time, the party, if you would, or the celebration of a wedding, of a marriage, would normally last anywhere from two to three days up to seven to eight days long. And so it was the bride and groom's responsibility to provide the provisions to all their guests. Now, this place called Cana is roughly around nine miles above Nazareth. So a lot of people believe that the reason why the mother of Jesus, we're going to get to the reason why John says that, why Mary was invited is most likely there were some kind of relatives that were having a, uh, getting married, having a wedding. And so she was there. And then, of course, her son, Jesus, and his disciples were also invited unto this wedding, this wedding in Cana of Galilee. So when they come to this wedding, it says in verse 3, when they wanted wine, the mother of Jesus saith unto him, they have no wine. Now, a lot of scholars believe that she was part of the, the preparation for this wedding. And she knew, she had details of the fact that they are running out of wine. Now, we, we don't understand this too greatly because of where we live and what time period we live in. But if you were part of the... What we call the bridal party today, if you were the bride and groom and you ran out of provisions, that would be a huge embarrassment that will never leave you during the time that you were married. It would never leave you. You would be seen as one who was not able to provide. It would also, in some, sometimes, believe that it would be a legal matter because it was a, it was your duty as a bride and a groom to provide, and if you were not able to provide, it would become a legal matter. So the fact that they had no wine proved to be a, a big problem for the wedding ceremony, for the party that's going on. So mother of Jesus came to Jesus. Of course, you know who Jesus is. Jesus is the Son of God. He has the power over creation, right? He created creation. He is God. So, of course, Mary knew who Jesus was, and if anyone could sit there and provide something that wasn't there, It would be who? It would be Jesus. So Mary goes to her son. Mary goes up to her son and says, Jesus, they have no wine. What's interesting is, is that this is actually the very last thing that Mary says that's recorded in the Scripture. Did you know that? After this, we don't read anything about what Mary says. And the reason being, I believe, is the fact that the relationship between Mary and Jesus changed. In other words, up until now, it was Mary and her son, Jesus. After this, the relationship changed, and then it was Jesus who was the Savior of Mary. The relationship, the authority in the relationship changed. The authority in the relationship changed. In other words, his public ministry began when he was baptized, when he went into the wilderness, when he was tempted by Satan, and then when he came forth and he started bringing forth his disciples to follow him, the authority changed. It wasn't seen as Mary and her son Jesus. Instead, it was seen as Mary going to her Savior Jesus. Does that make sense? All of a sudden, we start seeing in a public realm that even Mary would bow down to the Savior, and so she would come up and say, "They have no wine." The mother of Jesus would have no wine. And Jesus would respond and said, "This woman." And now, when we think of woman, we we sit there and we and even when I read it in Scripture, I said, "Woman," that's not the way that he would have said it. In Southern terms, it would have been "Ma'am." That's what he would have said, "Ma'am." It would have been stern, it would have been straightforward, but it would not be rude, ma'am. Or we would say, sir, with authority, ma'am, what have I to do with thee? Mine hour is not come. What have I to do with this? What do I have to do with this? It was not yet time for Jesus to sit there and go to the cross. It was not yet time for Jesus to sit there and start proclaiming, but yet... Mary came to him anyway. So his response is, Woman, why do you come with me, come to me with this? Why do you come with me to me with this? He was not there to do the will of Mary, he was there to do the will of who? Of God. And what was the purpose of Jesus? Why did he come into this world? To save us. To go to live a life, to proclaim the gospel who who is himself, and then die upon the cross, and through that death. You and I sins, our sins would be paid for through his resurrection. And we then would have life like he has life. That is the reason why he came. So he ends up doing this miracle. And John records this. And like I said, this is one of his, as he calls it, signs that proclaim Jesus is who he is. So during in the first miracle, like I said, we have an act of authority. That transformation from authority from Mary over Jesus to being Jesus over Mary. And then all of a sudden, his public ministry, he goes from being a private life to having a public life. For 18 years, you haven't heard anything about Jesus. How do we know it's 18? Because when he was 12 years old, what did he tell his mother and father in the courtyard, in the temple? I'm about my father's business. And after that, next thing you read about is when he's 30 years old. Now, for an interesting side fact, priests start their priesthood at 30 years old. Jesus' public ministry started at thirty years old. That is when he began his public ministry. And so here it is, we see that Jesus is time for him to go from being in a private life to having a public life, proclaiming unto this world that he is the one with the power over creation. Even to the point that he can take something like water and make it turn into wine. Okay? So let's continue on and we're going to get to the wine part because I know that's, that, this scripture always has something to do with the wine. Everybody focuses on the wine. In fact, a lot of people believe that the wine is it, since the wine is here and Jesus made water and wine, it's okay to drink and get drunk and things like that. And that's not the point of the, the, the event that happens here. That's not the point of the miracle. The point of the miracle is that God is the one who has the power to transform us. And I'm going to show you that according to the scripture. So we see the act of authority. Jesus is taking that authority. He is showing through his miracle that he is the one with the authority. But then through this miracle, we also see obedience, that we ought to obey Jesus because he is the one in authority. Jesus saith unto Mary, he says, Woman, what have I to do with thee? Mine hour is not yet come. His mother turns to the servants there that are serving the ceremony, serving the party, and he says, You do whatever he says you do. Whatever this man says, you're to do it. And out of that comes obedience. It says in verse six that there were set there were six water pots of stone after the manner of purifying of the Jews. Now it says two or three firkins, that's normally twenty to thirty gallons apiece. So six. Stone pots, not six plastic barrels, not six buckets, six stone pots used to purify the Jews, used to wash the Jews during their ceremony uh, rituals of purification. Each one of them, 20 to 30 gallons. Now, you and I, if we want to fill up some barrels, we'll take it out back, plug up the water hose, and put the water hose in, and it just fills it up in no time, right? That's not the way it was, was it? No, they had to go to the well or to the river or whatever closest body of water it was, get buckets of water, come back and fill them up. Now we don't know how many servants they are. It doesn't say that. But it does say that they obeyed and filled them up to the brim. So you imagine, let's say there's five, six servants, each one taking a bucket, taking a pail, which probably is not—it's hardly a gallon. So five gallons per person per trip. To fill up 120 to 180 gallons of water. You're talking about obedience. You're talking about obedience. Here's another thing. Jesus, there is no wine. In today's culture, we would look at Jesus and say, why do you want water? Would we? That's what a lot of people would do. We would question Jesus. Why do you want water? If you want wine, why do you want water? Everyone knows here wine is made out of grapes. grapes. Okay, it's made out of grapes. So why not go get six barrels of grapes and not six stone uh, pots full of water? The Lord commanded them to do something and they didn't question, they did what? They obeyed. obeyed. They've done it. They obeyed. Even at times where to us, we didn't fully understand the point of it, God commands us to do things. Isn't that right? Yes. um, I like to read uh, other notes on scriptures that I preach on. And Charles Spurgeon, most of y'all probably know who Charles Spurgeon is. I read his notes on this sermon. And he said, This is a principle. Here's a principle about Jesus here in John chapter 2: Is that the fact that when Jesus is going to give a blessing, most often not, he gives a command first before he gives a blessing he gives you a command the blessing would have been the water into wine the command you go fill the water pots with water he does the same thing with us <clears throat> for those of us who shall believe in him then we shall have eternal life, eternal life. Amen. there's a command before the blessing we are blessed to have salvation it's not a right it's not something we merit it's not something we earned. It is a blessing that God has given us, but He gives us a command. Repent, for for God's kingdom is at hand. Repent, believe upon Him, for there is no other name underneath heaven that you shall be saved. There's a command before the blessing. There's an act of obedience here. They filled the water. They filled 120 to 180 gallons of water. But then He sat there and He told them this. Fill the water pots of water, and they filled them up to the brim. He saith unto them, Draw out now, and bear unto the governor of the feast. And they did it. In verse 10, verse 9, it says they drew it out, and when they took it to the master, which would have been what we call the uh, wedding coordinator, okay? Miss K was Katie and I's wedding coordinator. She's the one who coordinated our wedding. So in other words, if this, if this would happen to, in today's world, during our wedding, the servants would take the water to Miss Kay. They were to draw the water out of the pots. Now listen to what I'm saying. They're draw the water out of the pots and take it to the wedding coordinator. And the wedding coordinator did not know that it was water, but according to verse 9, it says that the servants did. Again, an act of obedience. They knew they drew water. And they're taking water to the coordinator, not wine, water to the coordinator. Why is that so significant? Well, they wanted what? Wine. Now, why is that so Why is that important? We take it for granted that we can go to the store and buy bottles of water. We take it for granted that we can turn on a, f- a faucet and get water. Water was poisonous. It was toxic. Okay, in that region, they couldn't just drink water like we can drink water today. But at the same time, they had this this ability to sit there and take grapes and make what is called wine. And a lot of people think that it's grape juice. It was wine. It wasn't grape juice. They would create wine. They didn't have no refrigeration. So it fermented. So it became wine. But yet they were also commanded by their God not to get drunk. So they were in a situation. They were in this predicament that, well, we can't drink water. But yet at the same time, we can't drink too much straight wine. So what they would do is they would take 10 to 30 percent of wine and mix it in with the water. And what that would do is that would that would basically uh, uh, sanitize or pasteurize, is what, what we do at my work, cause the toxins in the water not to be so bad. Yeah. But at the same time, they wouldn't get drunk. They wouldn't get drunk off the wine. So the issue is here is we're taking this water that is supposed to be toxic that we can't really drink a lot or else we'll get sick, to the wedding co- coordinator? Do they ask a the question about it? Or do they obey They obeyed. They obeyed. Obedience and faith go hand in hand. We talked about that in Sunday school this morning. Obedience and faith go hand in hand. When you sit there and you humble yourself in obedience to the Lord, your faith grows. They did not fill those pots halfway. They did not fill those pots almost all the way. They filled those pots with water to the brim. Now, we made coffee this morning, and Donnie had two cups, and I poured it, and I said, tell me when to stop, and he said, okay, that's good. So I filled it up about halfway, three quarters, something like that. I didn't fill it all the way up. There was still room in the cup. There was no room in the pots of water. There was no room, to, room for doubt. They filled it up to the brim. There was no way that God, that Jesus could sit there and do, pull a maneuver, a, a trick, and add wine from the back counter and trick everybody. No. he They filled it up to the brim. They had no doubt. Shouldn't we be the same way with our faith? Amen. Our faith should be filled up to the brim so we will not have any doubt into the Lord's power and who He is and His authority, His sovereignty. So all of this is in this miracle. The fact that Jesus has authority, the fact that we are to be obedient unto Him, that we are to have Faith, excuse me, that we are to have faith unto the Lord to sit there and take water, fill up a pot to the brim, even though we don't fully understand the situation, we don't fully understand the plan of God, we still have faith in Him to do what He is going to do. And that's in any situation. Tragedies in our family, finance issues in our household, we don't know what the future holds but we know that who holds the future, right? Ain't that that saying? We don't know what the future holds, but we know who holds the future. We know God is sovereign. We know if we depend upon Him and trust in Him and lean upon Him, He, according to His own word, says that everything, for those who love Him, everything works out for the good, right? That's what it says. And then you have the act of power. You have the act of power. And this is the main thing that I want you to see in the Scripture is the fact that God had the power to transform that water into that wine. He had the power to do that. And get this, when He spoke creation in being, He spoke it out of nothing. He spoke it. Here, He proclaims, without proclaiming, He has the power to change the water into wine. Does it say in the Scripture that He says, Now water, become wine. No. No. How powerful was God? How powerful is Jesus to sit there and not even by speaking He turned that water into wine. He transformed something that was called water into something completely else. Now what does that have to do with us? What does that have to do with us? Salvation. Salvation that's exactly right. He has the power to transform you from being an unbeliever to a believer. He has the power to transform you from being dead in your trespasses and sins to being alive. He has the power to do that. That's why John wrote down this miracle to proclaim, and you can read that later on in the book of John. We talked about it several weeks ago. The purpose of the Gospel of John is so that you and I will see his miracles and believe who he was, and that is the Son of God. That's the whole purpose of the Gospel of John. He wants us to believe in Jesus. And he writes out the very first miracle is the fact that God has the power to transform water into wine. You should know that he has the power to transform your life from the old creature to the new, from being dead to being alive, being an unbeliever to a believer, being far away from God to being near to him. That is who Jesus is. That is who he is. Now, what's amazing is I I, I can't get over the fact that his first miracle was at a wedding. I can't get over that fact. Do you know why? This is his first miracle of his public ministry, was at a wedding. The completion, the finality of the new covenant that he establishes at the end of the book of Revelation is what? The marriage supper of the Lamb. That's amazing to me. The beginning and the end, he combines it all with marriage. With marriage. And well, what's even more so is that during that time and, and we were talking about it at the Sunday school, throughout the scriptures you see a lot of allegories, you see a lot of analogies, metaphors. The marriage, the husband and wife, was supposed to sit there and provide provisions for the guests. Who is Jesus? He is the groom. Is he not? And He provides the living water. He provides the bread of life. He gives us the provisions needed to have our life. To have the life He gave us. It's amazing how when you sit there and you look into the Scripture, how much in it proclaims to be Jesus and who He is. Even a simple marriage feast without no wine... Jesus sit there and proclaim that he was the Son of God. Through an act of authority, through an act of obedience, an act of faith, an act of power, he shows us who he is. He shows us who he is. He is the Son of God. And what's amazing is, is that so many people can, t- can take the Scripture and distort it to try to make it mean whatever they want to mean. But they they avoid the obvious, and that is the fact that Jesus is the one that Mary went to. Jesus is the one who gave the commandments. Jesus is the one who turned the water into wine. Jesus is the one with authority. Jesus is the one in whom the servants obeyed and whom the servants had faith in. It's Jesus, 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 Jesus throughout the whole miracle. It's not about the wine itself. It's not about Mary. It's not about the servants. It points to who? Jesus Christ Christ. And who He is, the Son of God, the Son of Man. That's who it points to. That's who it points to. And and, and it just it amazes me that He uses six pots that were meant for purification. You and I can't purify ourselves. Can we? We can't make ourselves holy. But God can. God can. And He refines us. He refines us. He sits there through trials, through fire. He tries us. He refines us like silver. That's what it says in the Old Testament. He refines us like silver. Takes out all the toxic stuff and transforms us into something that is holy. Amen. The church of God should be holy as God is holy. That's what we're commanded to be, right? He says, be holy as I am holy. What does that mean? We are not to take part of the world. We're not supposed to be part of the world. We're not supposed to be living in sin. We're not supposed to be in the midst of the evilness that's in this world. If you are part of the church, part of the body of Christ, part of the bride, you're supposed to be carrying the name of the groom, are you not? Amen. And his name is Christ. So the question I have, are you carrying his name? If you call yourself a Christian, you're carrying his name. If you call yourself a Christian, you're carrying his name. He's the one who provides you life. He's the one who has the power to transform you. And that's what we need to see. That's what John wants us to read, to see, so that you and I can then go proclaim. It doesn't just stop here. When you come in here... You praise, you sing, you hear the word of God, but then what do you do? You go out and you live it and you proclaim it. You live it and you proclaim it. It doesn't stop at those doors. It does not stop. It doesn't. People should be able to look at you and see that you carry the name of the bridegroom, which is Jesus Christ. People should be able to hear it the way you talk and see that you carry his name. When you go out and you're teaching and influencing and guiding and mentoring someone in your life, they should sit there and look at you and see. There's something different about that person. What is it? And you should be able to look at them and say, It's Jesus. That's what makes me different from the rest of the world. It's Jesus. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Lord, thank you so much for allowing us again to be in your house this morning to open up your scriptures. Thank you so much for your faithful servant named John who wrote down this account of your miracle in which proclaims your power to transform us. Thank you so much for that. Thank you so much for you having that power, Lord, because we have no hope without you. We have no hope from going from being dead to being alive without you, Lord. Thank you so much for being who you are and loving us enough to die upon that cross, giving us, giving your life so that we may have life. Lord, thank you so much for you having the authority and the power to do that. Lord. And in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. amen.